Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. So I've just about finished week one of Edinburgh. Uh, I have in fact, I started last Thursday and it is now Friday. Uh, so I've done seven shows of Savage and I've done four shows of Love Bites and I, I seem to have survived so far, so that's good. Um, what what is happening in accommodation terms is I'm sharing a flat with uh, four other comedians and they're all older guys, they're all Edinburgh veterans, it's really nice, they're all very relaxed, they know the game and they've got lots of good advice. Um, one of them, Iva Dembina, is one of the early stalwarts of the London scene and I, I'm always bumping into him in the kitchen. He's always very, very sweet, offering me a cup of tea and some good advice. And I went and saw his show yesterday and it was just a delight. Really a wonderful show. Just sweet and funny. Really good combination of sweet and funny. Uh, not apolitical, but just a pleasure. And so when I came home that night, I made myself some breakfast at about midnight, uh, which is what I've been doing recently. If, it's, if you're only going to have one meal a day, it might as well be breakfast. Make myself some poached eggs and avocado on toast, and then I feel like an adult. Anyway, uh, he came in, and I asked him if he would like to have tea with me. So we sat down and had uh, English breakfast, no sugar, with some milk, and had this conversation. I really enjoyed having it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. If you want to contact Ivor Dembina, he is on Twitter, but he prefers to be contacted on Facebook. Ivor, I-V-O-R, and Dembina, D-E-M-B-I-N-A. Look him up uh, and send him a line if you've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com if you want to chat or if you have any feedback, uh, or follow me on Twitter at alliterative. Shows here are going well, I think. I don't know. It's my it's my first time here, so I don't know what it's meant to be like. Um, the free fringe is, is free, uh, other than registration, so you can't really complain about a lot of things. My room is hot and on the ground floor of a very loud pub, which means that occasionally people wander in. If you've seen Savage, you know that uh, that is not necessarily the best way to enjoy my show coming in. Uh, halfway through or whatever but this is uh, you know part of the game right it's meaning that I have to be that much more arresting and that much more intense on stage and that's kind of a, a gear that I'm learning that I didn't have before I'm hoping it, I'll be able to keep it once I get back into you know rooms which actually have a door this room doesn't have any doors it has a curtain <laughs> Um, and uh, I bought a fan which should help with the hotness a little bit at least um, Edinburgh otherwise is sort of I can't even explain it I'll do a proper like a one man you know just me podcast at some point and explain to you what Edinburgh is like as best I can if you want to follow I'm doing a, a diary day by day uh, an Edinburgh diary at my blog Alice Comedy Fraser at Tumblr Oh, you can look at it. Look at it through the um, through the website. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you everybody who's supporting me on Patreon. As I mentioned to Iva, this microphone's amazing. So, at the beginning of the podcast, you might be able to hear the washing machine a bit in the background. But other than that, sound quality, sweet, sweet sound quality. Thanks so much for having tea with Alice.
I saw your show today. Oh, well, thanks for coming. I really liked it. Thank you. I really liked it. It was very sweet. And for something that was, you know, made up in large part of other people's jokes. Sure. It was really, really, your voice came through very much. I liked that. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, the, the title, Old Jewish Jokes, says what it is on the tin. It's a kind of celebration of old Jewish jokes. But what I discovered, having been doing comedy for nearly 30 years, if you just tell people jokes in isolation, however good the jokes are, they get bored after about 10 minutes. Mm. So I wanted to find a way of kind of celebrating this great strand of humour, mm. but not allow the audience to get bored. Yeah. So I came across the idea of uh, a story based on a true experience of mine, mm. which was about the tension between celebrating the old but trying to move things forward. Mm. And that turned out to be the perfect uh, uh, washing line, uh, the washing line, so to speak, on which to hang the jokes. And it kind of works quite well. It's got quite an interesting history, actually. Because about four or five years ago, I'm, I'm Jewish, and I've written this comedy show about the, um, the difficulties in the Middle East regarding Israel and the Palestinians. It was a show called This Is Not a Subject for Comedy. Right? Yeah. It was based on some visits that I made to Israel and the West Bank. And I set myself the challenge of trying to write a comedy show out of that. Um, and I think I in part succeeded, but the difficulty was, you know, it was quite clear that some people in the audience thought it just wasn't funny enough. That's all. They they found it wasn't that, funny enough as a topic, or the jokes you were making weren't funny enough. Um, I suppose I have to take responsibility and say they didn't find that the way, my treatment of it was funny enough. I mean, it was definitely interesting. There were some funny bits in, and the story was good. But there was a kind of... Um, it wasn't like a joke a minute, let's put it that way. It was more story-based. It was a good show. I'm proud of it. But I thought, this is a shame, because I thought it was still worth seeing, even though and the, a lot of people quite liked it. So I came up with what I thought would be quite a clever idea. Mm. I'd write a little 20-minute curtain raiser just called Old Jewish Jokes. Mm. We should actually get up and tell them all these old Jewish jokes as a way of signalling to the audience. You know, I'm just like you, I like these old jokes. I'm quite a funny guy and let's just have a bit of fun for 20 minutes. Before and I do this harrowing tale. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was the plan. Strap in, guys. Yeah, it wasn't, the tale wasn't harrowing, but it was certainly... Political. Political and quite serious. I don't think, I don't think people mind political stuff. But they want it... They, 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 they want to be entertained at the same time. Yeah. Which is fair enough. If you uh, describe yourself as an entertainer, you should make it entertaining. I don't. I wasn't blaming the audience. I don't have any. Um, I take full responsibility. So. But I thought that uh, if I wrote this little curtain raiser, this project, as you say. So it's a bit like a sweetener, you know, the, the sweetener at the front. Normally when you have a meal, you have the sweet at the end, don't you? Yeah, I did that with my last show. I had ten minutes up the front that were just one-liners, like those cards, yeah. before I went into it. But with this show, I have the sweet bits kind of peppered throughout. I don't know what's better. 
Well, if you're the slightest bit nervous about the content, I think it's better to do your funny stuff up front. Just to just say, look, this is my opinion, you know, just say, relax, I'm funny, I've shown you I'm funny. Because really, in an audience, if you, after 10 minutes, they've kind of decided whether they really? like you or you're funny or not. And provided you can hold their funniness mm. <laughs> or their desire to be entertaining, provided you're for 10, 15, certainly 20 minutes. If you get to 20 minutes and they're laughing and they like you, really, they, you, 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 you've got... Um, You've got permission to slow down on the laughter rate, really. I learned this myself. The first comedian of any major repute I ever saw in this country when I was a youngster was a, a comedian. I think he, he came out to Australia, an Irish comedian called Dave Allen. I think he was really big in Australia. Probably. It was. And I, he was the first, like... How should I say, senior comedian I ever went to see. I've never seen, I've never seen a comedian for two hours you know, on a London West End stage. And for about the first 15 minutes, he, I was laughing. He was a television face as well, you know. Yeah, I was laughing. I was great, I'm so glad. And then about 20 minutes in, I noticed he was talking about such interesting stuff, mainly about religion in this case, mm. that I noticed that I wasn't really laughing. But it didn't matter. Because he, yeah, I'm not saying I never laughed at all, but I was so compelled by what he had to say that the laughter rate, yeah, he still caught me out, I still made the other. So, yeah, I I don't think, you know, I think you need to demonstrate your funny for 10 or 15 minutes. Anyway. Well, I mean, with Savage, I backed the show to be intense enough and interesting enough without the humour. And it starts with that really uh, quiet audio clip, but then I kind of backed off that and have the thing where I sit on stage while people are coming in and yeah. try to make them laugh and like me before. So it's sort of having it both ways before the show starts. Yeah, I think you've got to be careful with that. I mean, you know, I mean, sadly, I I saw your welcome when I came to see your show, which mm. I enjoyed very much. About well, I think it was, you might have been your opening night. It was one of the early performances. Yeah. So I missed the. My, my, my first recollection is you were actually already sitting, chitting and chatting to the audience, which I thought was a really nice idea. I have to say, I'll confess, I actually thought of stealing it. You're welcome to it. Right. I stole it myself from... Okay, uh, now you stole it first, did you? <laughs> and uh, I just thought it was so nice, and I liked the way you were, and they liked you. Um, I thought it was a really nice idea, so I didn't see the immediate... I came in, you'd, I think you'd already started talking. Um... And, um, yeah, I liked him. Anyway, just going back to this thing, just to sort of recap this, uh, I had this show, quite a serious show, a good show, it's called This Is Not a Subject of Comedy. I actually brought it, I brought an early version of it out to the Melbourne Fringe, not the comedy festival, and did an art gallery, uh, the 44, does that ring a bell? Yeah. Did it there. And, um, well, it, it was I had a lovely time. I do like Melbourne and that. And, but um, <laughs> a lot of Jewish people come. Uh, came, and they didn't like it at all because they weren't used to hearing a Jewish person taking on even the most mildly sympathetic 
fear of the Palestinian predicament. And they, you know, basically I didn't like the show. I think because of that, I think the politics got in the way. That's the, that's fine. That's what happened. But I was getting a bit of that in England as well. And it so, yeah, I came up with this idea, a little Kurt Mazer. So there's a way of saying to you, I'm just a Jewish boy from North London. I like, I like making jokes as well. But as you say, get some permission for the more, what I thought, more interesting stuff to come. Yeah. But what happened was, while I was thinking about this, and I was doing this kind of curtain raiser. I went to do a, a show in London, at a very Jewish um, gig. I mean, I think it was a Jewish community centre or mm. cultural event. And just before I went on stage, the chap at the door, who was sort of running the event, he says to me, Ivor, you're not going to do any jokes about Holocaust, are you? <laughs> It was like... I've, I've been at that Jewish event. <laughs> yeah, well, then you know what I mean. And, um, well, and I, um, well, it just stuck in my mind. And then I just thought of, it, it brought home the fearfulness of, you know, the diaspora Jews in, in Britain and America, and I imagine in Australia as well, where you come from, I, not an expert on these things. But it's sort of the whole kind of the community is, despite its relative safety, its relative prosperity compared mm. to times gone by, and its level of integrate, integration. Jews as a group tend to be very fearful people. And, and that fear has been, been a very important part of my own life. You know, and it infects the way I am every moment of the day. Um, but I don't like that. I don't like this fearfulness. I don't think you should be, you know, you should be reckless. If there's genuine threat to your safety, you should acknowledge it and do something about it. But I formed the view that there was too much of this fear. And I thought of all the things that Jewish audiences don't like hearing jokes about, which, in, and I, the next one was Israel, you know, the next one, they don't like stuff about Jews and money, they don't like stuff about Jews and sex. I thought, hang on a minute, there might be a little story to be had here. So I reimagined it, you know, taking the old Jewish jokes, acknowledging how wonderful these jokes are, but at the same time tinged with a sadness that that's kind of where we're stuck, that we haven't moved on to acknowledge current social and political reality. Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, this fearfulness, I think, is partly you know, inherited and epigenetic is like wired into into mm. us. Mm. Statistically we're more likely to suffer from anxiety and mm. so on and so forth. It gets it gets burned into your genetics. But it doesn't work well to be fearful if you're in a position of power. It doesn't it's not a good thing for society to have people who are at the top who are paranoid and on a visceral, like bone deep level, really paranoid because that's that's bad. It's good if you're weak and, as you say, if there is genuine danger, that's really good wiring to have. But if you're the one holding the gun, it's not good wiring to have. Well, I agree with that completely, but I'll go even further than that and say it becomes dangerous and downright unpleasant yeah. when the people in power aren't necessarily fearful, but they're happy to take advantage and exploit the fears of those who are more fearful from them uh -huh. in order to get their way. 
and I think uh, Jewish leaderships, both of the, the diaspora kind and of the Israeli kind, have become expert at manipulating the fears of Jewish people right around the world well, to the support of, of activities, which if we stop to think about it, we, we wouldn't get. I'm obviously talking about Israel. But, but this is the other thing, I think, is, is that when you have... Um, when you have that exploitation of fear, there's a, there's a rhetoric now, mm. and it's not explicit, but it's implicit, that if you are not sufficiently afraid and defensive of Jewish safety and privilege, if you're not actually afraid, you're doing a wrong to the people who died in the Holocaust. That's it's like a, it's a moral wrong not to be afraid. <laughs> That's really well put. I think you're making a very intelligent remark here. I mean, yeah, you're not afraid, don't you know you're, what happened? Yeah, you're not afraid you're a traitor. Yeah, because yeah. then it could happen again. If you're not sufficiently afraid, then you could let it happen again. And that's... Show me your fear. Show me your fear. And if you don't show it, then you're somehow, yeah, treacherous. Treacherous to the people who died. And, and yeah, I, mm. f I find that that's a really interesting trick that yeah. you see being played, as you say, by people in power. Um, well, I think the good news is, uh, Alice, is that I think a growing number of Jewish people, predominantly, you're younger than me, but predominantly from your generation, but from mine as well, I suppose, don't think, oh, yeah, sure. now think about it, she comes into it. A growing number of Jewish people are beginning to call that, that bluff, really. Yeah. And they're beginning to say, no, we don't want this. We don't want uh, people, you know, taking their neighbour's land based on some kind of supernatural, you know, so-called spiritual claim. We don't want people dropping bombs out of the sky on children hiding in a school in our name. We don't want this shoot first, ask questions later mentality which all arises, you can say, when the guy with the gun is... It's like a policeman with a gun who's on his first his first patrol and he's, he's in a corner and he, he, he pulls his gun. You think, crikey, what's he going to do? And I think, you know, it's people... The time has arrived, has arrived where people, Jewish people, have got to speak up. And, say, and the best way, if they do that, and speak out against this kind of manipulation which goes on day in, day out, that if they do that, they're going to find two things. One, there are a lot more people like them than they think who are feeling the same. Yeah. And also they'll feel less fearful themselves. Because just by challenging, the, you know, you know, you're challenging this kind of inculcation of fear that goes on inside the tent, they'll feel more confident outside the tent. That's what i found. Well, you, you were saying in your show, I don't know if this is true, that you, you've done stand-up now for 30 years. Yeah. And that you wanted to be one of these alternatives. That's right. The first, you're, so you're the first wave of alternative comedy. Oh, I put myself... Jess came in behind the first wave. The first wave was... Uh, yeah, I was on their coattails. The first wave over here... I don't know how uh, significant these names are to your listeners... But over here, it would be someone called like Alexei Sale, um, Keith Allen, Rick Mail, 
French and Saunders, I'd say they were the first wave. What happened was, there was a venue in London called the Comedy Store that, that was part of the same franchise of one that existed in Los Angeles. That opened in 1979, all right? And we'd never seen anything like it. We went down and watched it. They had the gong then, you know, where you get gonged up. But people just getting up, you know, saying what they thought and believed and being funny at the same time. It was just like a bit like punk, you know, yeah. post-punk, very closely allied with punk. It was just completely, it seemed to come from nowhere. And it was very amateurish in a good way. Mm -hmm. very, very free spirited. And I went, I was in the audience. Oh, this is just fantastic. And although I didn't have any perf uh, performing ambitions, I, I got to speak to some of the comedians and they said, this is great, the only trouble is we only have one gig a week at the comedy store on a Saturday night. So I said, well, I'll open a club, club myself, you can come and perform at my place as well. And a lot of other people were saying the same thing. We we'll, we'll basically, yeah, still, not in a kind of, uh, that we want to get rich or powerful, but in a kind of, yeah, steal this comedy store idea. Only because we wanted to be part of it. We didn't, it wasn't yeah. a part of self-aggrandizement or anything like that. And we'll open up, you know, clubs in the image of the comedy store. And a few of us were doing, had the same idea at the same time. And that's how the London comedy circuit grew up. Wow. That's how it started. And within a year or so, a year or two, there was little clubs. There was about ten clubs, a little circuit of clubs, of which I had one. And I was like, um, yeah, I was quite, you know, I was quite recognised as one of the founder people of the circuit. Yeah, but we didn't, you know, these guys say recognised, no one cared, it was just all... It wasn't that kind of mythology yet? It, there was no mythology about it. This is why you need to get onto podcasting. Oh, right. Because podcasting is the new... I mean, you hear Will Anderson talk about this a lot. It's mm. punk, it is the new thing. It's, you know, radio and television without any gatekeepers. Anyone can do a podcast. It I doesn't cost you anything to do it. Yeah. And the only thing that limits you is your willingness to keep doing it. Yeah, I think that's what limits me. I like going on you, I like, I'm thinking, my, that's a very, uh, obviously, because you're absolutely right, I'm sure. But the way, this is a sort of very, is this a caveman attitude? I think, well, Alice, she's got a lovely podcast. Mm -hmm. People listen to hers already. Oh, if you want to hear what I've got to say, I'll say, listen to Alice's. Is that, <laughs> is that the way it works? Does it, do I have to have my own? Everyone has one, I mm -hmm. mean, you know, that's the kind of attitude. And it's not true, actually. Yeah, not no. everyone has one. But yeah. the fear is, yes, that you proliferate into obscurity and that by adding to the stream you... Yeah. But it's not actually like that because, A, not that many people listen to podcasts yet as yeah. an absolute number. So the audience is still growing. The pie is still growing. Sure, yeah. It... But also there's, it's not limited by a city or a country, people from all over the world. So I can have four listeners in one country yeah. and, and, and three, li three listeners in another country and 250 listeners in another country, and that's enough. And if you get enough listeners, then you start doing live shows. And that's what happens with the really successful podcasts is they bounce around and they, that's how they make their money. 
Yeah, I'm, not, I'm too old to worry about money. I mean, I'm not, I'm not resistant to what you're saying. Oh, I, I, I'm not resistant. I'm not resisting. I'm too young to worry about money. Yeah, you're too young. <laughs> I'm too old to. I should, I'm the one who should be worried about money. You're the one who shouldn't. But, but listen, you know what I do you, when you put it up. This, this is my kind of simplistic way. I've got a Wikipedia page, you know, so I can mm. say to the person, here, put this on the link to this. On your Wikipedia page. page. And you, hear, you can hear Ivor talking to uh, Alice. And everyone who comes who's interested in me, they go and do that. <laughs> Why? I don't have to buy a, You've got to love this. is a wonderful looking tape recorder. It's quite scary looking. Yeah, well, I used to have one that was looked more like a microphone, but actually, so with this podcast, I do a Patreon, which is like a website, yeah. um, like, a, like a Kickstarter, but not. People who like the podcast can donate an amount of money, however much they want. Yeah. And they can donate one amount of money or they can pay per month. If they think that this podcast comes out every week, if yeah. they think it's worth a dollar, they can give me $4 a month. Yeah to get the four podcast they don't have to it's uh, free yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, I put this up and just ignored it I didn't I sort of thought oh that's a great idea this idea of patronage and they're not yeah. asking me to do anything specific they're just saying I like what you're doing keep doing it <sighs> and so I ignored it for a couple of months I just forgot about it and then I got an email saying you have X amount in your account and I was like oh wow that actually worked and so I bought this new recorder which is beautiful well, I'm not knocking I'm not it. I'm not knocking it. <laughs> it does look a bit like a taser. It looks yeah. like it could do you damage. It does. Only my words can do me damage. <laughs> but no, I think it's great. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I was one of the first comedians to embrace the internet. Mm. And I got a lot into a lot of trouble, actually. Oh, what Because happened? I was, well, you know, I thought it was, the thing about the internet in those days... 1998. Oh, wow. Before, yeah. Early internet. This is, early, yeah, uh, and uh, what we were just playing at it, mm. you know, and I didn't realise what I understand now, because when you're sitting at home late at night, you come in and you've had oh. a couple of drinks, <laughs> and you think, I'm going to tell the world what I think, and you think, oh, amazing, you know, I had this website. And you can find it. I think I think it's up there on in my Wikipedia page. Uh, it's called it's called Think Before You Laugh. Right? Mm-hmm. And I used to kind of rip into the industry, you know. Oh. Oh yeah. Watch your mouth. Exactly. It'll get you into trouble. It got me. It got me into trouble. I used to kind of rip into it, and some of it I tried to make it funny. Mm. And I'd say it was about. It was about 70-80% funny, but when it wasn't funny... It was really... Unfunny. <laughs> now, of course, you see, now, if you see someone say something nasty about Alice on Facebook or Twitter, you think, oh, well... Whatever, Russian off. Yeah, off. exactly. Not there. They weren't used to it, mm. you see. They weren't used to it. You say, oh, well, why is that? You know, this is what the net is for. Now, you know, if I say something nasty about you, you say, oh, no, He's, he's all right, but yeah, he's a bit of a big mouth. But you, you brush it off. Let mm. him do his thing, I'll do my thing. That's that. But in then, I was one of the only ones doing it, you see. 
Uh huh. You were a leader in trolling. Well, I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't a troll. I wasn't a troll. I know my opinions. It was like a troll. Trolls just stir shit for the point of it. You actually had something. to I say. I had a few things to say because I was. I've always been fairly. I do love humour. You know, I love trying to be funny, and I am sometimes. But I was deeply interested in comedy, and at that time, I was deeply interested in its potential as a, a, a force for political change. You know, you could say something, like you say, we can say what we want now, no one's, you know, no one really, no one's going to do anything about it. And I kind of tuned on to that, so I tuned into that quite early, but I got, I didn't really understand. I got intoxicated by the power. You know, you know, sitting, you come in late at night, you get your computer out, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit like people watch porn, you know, it's just, oh, I feel so I can choose what I'm going to see and I'm, I'm in control and all that. It was a very, although I was saying some quite, um, I was saying some quite funny and interesting things, but, you know, I didn't watch my mouth. You were also saying things that hurt people's feelings. I did, yeah. Now, now I wouldn't do that. Because I didn't realise I was doing it. I was so... I was just being... <coughs> yeah, I was being... I didn't deliberately went out to, but a well, little... part of feeling like no-one can stop you... Yeah. Well, part of the reality that no-one can stop you, no-one can stop you... Yeah. ...is the feeling that there are no consequences, which yeah. is not the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, and that was my own immaturity, there's no other word. And I, I was one, see a lot of people were quite shocked at the time, mm. because I'm slightly older even then. I was old, I was old the day I was born. <laughs> now, but you know what I mean? So I think people were quite shocked because I was quite a respected figure, slightly old, one of the older comics. Mm. And I think the younger comics got a bit frightened of me. And, uh, not frightened, no, that's like that. They began to distrust me, think, well, you watch Ivor, watch his mouth. Ah, uh, <laughs> wary. Yeah, wary. And I don't blame them. You know, I, I always try to accept the consequences of my own actions, mm. which I do. Like, it'd be very easy for me to sit here and just have fun, poking fun at other comics, you know. And I just wouldn't do it anymore. I just wouldn't. I just... I don't mind talking about the issues or how someone's behaviour... Yeah illustrates a wider issue. Mm. I don't mind. But just to sort of have a dig at someone who's... It's just, it's just not nice. Just don't, I don't think it's all. The whole... The internet works best, like any other form of communication, when it's used constructively. Yeah. It's like this thing you were describing. The truth, I didn't entirely follow it, the way you've managed to raise a bit of money to develop the art of what you're doing here. It's fantastic. You know, it's brilliant. There, you're using it for a creative purpose. Yeah, I think the, um, your tendency, maybe, I have the same tendency, and it's something that I... I mean, I first realised in, like, first-year university, I can very quickly sum up someone in quite a funny and dismissive way, and I did that at uni because I was starting to make friends and I could make people laugh. And that was the first time I had friends who I could make laugh. And then after a while I started to think how people would talk about me yeah. if they were to do that. <laughs> it makes you insecure and weird and so I stopped. But yeah. occasionally it pops up again, like recently. And, oh, this is, this is a, a thing that I mildly regret. 
Um, I arrived in London and did my preview show for this at Copstick's venue. I did that. Yeah. And I was very jet-lagged and I arrived and I said, I've just come off the plane. I had a shower at my brother's house and he came here and she said, what are you, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing the free fringe. And she said, why are you doing the free fringe? And I told her why I was doing the free fringe, which was that I got offered a spot at the paid fringe at midday at one of the big venues and I did not take it because I did the numbers and nobody could tell me how much being at those venues was worth. You know how much money you're going to lose, but you don't know how much it's worth, right? Do you mind me asking, does it, don't tell me if you've rather not saying which venue it was that you were... Uh, it doesn't, if you say it doesn't matter, it's fine. Uh, I think I've said it before, but I'm not going to say it this time because of what happened next. Okay, right, it doesn't matter. But it was one of the, one established, of the, three, yeah. the established papers. All right, that should yeah. be neat enough. Go on. And so I was very flattered to be offered it. Sure. I just decided I couldn't afford it. And then I was talking to Copsty about people who were doing Kickstarters. It's a pet... Yeah pet uh, hobby horse whatever pet subject of hers she doesn't she's not sure how she feels about kickstarters and 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 i'm not sure how i feel about them i've spoken about on the podcast before i think if you're just asking your friends for money so that you can do Hmm. what you want to do which is what happened somebody else took the slot and um raised the money to pay for it by doing it do one of these campaigns which I felt weird about yeah. because I thought partly I thought well I should have done that and part of me thought no I would never do that it would be too embarrassing yeah. I don't have that shamelessness and I, I sort of thought it was a bit a bit something of her to have done that and then Copstick wrote up my show in in the Scotsman yeah. which is an amazing thing right that's a really cool thing for you know, what well, a, a, a feature or a book in of her fringe diary. So oh, she that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Four yeah. shows, and I was one of them, and that's, that's nice. Really nice. Yeah, she's but great. half of it was a review of my show, and half of it was a discussion of this sure. issue. Yeah. Luckily, she misquoted the time and the venue, <laughs> because otherwise, people would know the venue and was... the person. <laughs> Who you were sticking the knife in? That or, I was sti- or, or yeah, that I didn't intend to, but I yeah, realised. Yeah, yeah, you and that, yeah, so luckily I got that particular slap on the wrist before it came back to bite me. Yeah, oh, thank goodness. But, yeah, yeah. it was... Uh, yeah, it's weird, you know, once it's out there, you know, I'll tell you, I've, I've got interviewed around the show mm. by... The Jewish Chronicle, who I'm very nervous about because mm. they tend to articulate the interests of the conservative element in the community. But he says, you know, nice guy, journalist, no side to him. He says, I have a time to see your show, love the show. Can we do an article? I might do an interview with you about Jewish comedy, blah, blah, blah. I says, yeah, sure. I says, no quotes from me like, unless I see him an email first. Uh-huh. Just don't. Email me them and I'll authorise them. You, obviously, what you write around them is your business. I can't stop him commenting. Yeah. But if you want to quote me, I want to see it. So he sent me... He was, he was, he did, he did as he told. He sent me the quotes. I actually changed them. I improved them. I sharpened them up and, you know, and all that. And I got rid of some, which I don't know. You know what they're like. Yeah, you know what they're like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, do that. I, I, anyone listening to this, 
who might be in the you know might be an inexperienced comedian who might become famous one day. Mm. If ever anyone phones you up, you don't owe these people anything. They you know they they, they and um, by all means you know being the most of the press very nice you know very helpful. But when it comes to actually putting your words in print, always say you want to see them first before signing them off. Mm. Always. Do you, you have a, yes, do you have a right to do that? You don't, but it's... You ask. You, no, you, you ask. say to them, they ask for an interview, all right? You say, and it's that point, you say, yes, on one condition. They say, what's that? No quotes unless I sign them off first. Mm. If they say, no, what's that? I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. Yeah, well, I didn't think I was talking to a journalist. <laughs> I thought I was talking to a reviewer. Meaning with caustic. Well, yeah, but she, with you, yeah, but she. And I, yeah. Well, that was a. I've not, you know, it's turned out all right. It's turned out fine, and I'm very, very grateful. That was just a, you know, it turned out okay, but you could have got yourself in a big hot water, you know. Say you'd have sort of. uh, I've also misquoted the time myself. Yeah, I mean, but if ever you've owned up about. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about a bit of flim flam, you know, kind of, hey, why are you in, why have you come to England, uh, mm. Alice? You say, well, you know, this is my, you know, you just made a bit of fun, yeah, well, I've, I've conquered Australia now, I'm going to show, you know, the problems how to do it. You know, some funny, yeah. little, not funny, you know, I mean, light hearted stuff. But if they're asking you about issues, things like that, like, this is an issue, you know, about, yeah, she's asking what you think of the uh, the kickstart thing, and it is it's, it's, it's a very interesting issue because it can be very creative. Yeah. But when it's just you know like um, someone just asking their friends for money, well, just asking for money. You don't have to put it on the internet. If I want to ask you, know, I, feel, I don't. But there's some people I know who've got a few quid. I could say, look, I really want to. I've got an opportunity to do something here. Can you back me for a thousand pounds? And I say, yes, that's all. But I think for, you know, what is nice, I haven't really studied this Kickstarter thing, but the best Kickstarter thing are the ones where you're going to get something back out of it. You know? Yeah, that's what I think. And by, I by that, I don't mean you should, you know, you should be uncharitable, but... And then it becomes a shared... But I think that that's the thing. It's not... It's, Kickstarters are not charity... And you should be charitable when you're being charitable. I, I think that that's the difference because they're purporting to be a business arrangement. Yeah. You're supposed to be funding something from which you get some value. Yeah. And that's the difference for me. I think if if it's if it's if it smells like charity, it should be a charity appeal. If it's yeah. a Kickstarter, there should be a transaction involved. Yeah, it's a business I proposition. Yeah, I, th- I think we're in agreement here. Yeah. I don't. I'm not that. You know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, a pal of mine, I won't say it, but he, he, he's starting off some little business enterprise. It's something, it's a new kind of toy for children. And uh, it's just nice. Yeah. And he sent round an email, you know, need to raise a few thousand pounds. And he, he did, he said, oh, he said, anybody who puts in so much money they'll get four or five of the toys for free when they're made and they give them away as Christmas presents. It'll be nice. Yeah, I'm I, I said to him, oh, I don't know, I ain't got no nephews or nieces. You know, keep it, just keep the money. 
But he offered it. You know, it was nice. And it made me, it made me more inclined to support him. I would this particular individual I really like as a human being. I wouldn't have given it to him anyway. You know. Mm. But he made it. He made me think. Yeah, he's serious about it. That's what it's about. Yeah. So anyway, I was in at the beginning. Uh, I embraced the internet very early. Um, uh, I was one of the first comedians to have a website in Britain anyway. You know, America and Australia, they were way ahead of Britain, particularly America, you know, they were way ahead. But in Britain, I was the first, there was a few of us had um, um, our web pages and then when the web exploded, you know, you, you, everyone has a web page, that's all there is to it. And I kind of got, um, I got kind of left behind a bit. I, I embraced Facebook when it first appeared. I thought Facebook was, I, Facebook I understand. I'm not saying it's great and it's, there's things wrong with it and of course, but Facebook has kind of worked for me. Mm. Low level promotion within a fairly small, well-defined community like the comedy community in the UK. Facebook works great. I'm not trying to conquer the world. Um, it's a useful point of contact. Most people are on Facebook. I mean, it's particularly good for people like us who have friends all over the world yeah. and you can't track their addresses, but yeah, exactly. it's nice to know what they're up to and where they are and Absolutely. to be able to contact them. And people contact me out of the blue and it's sort of like... It's, to me, it's glorified email, but I like, I like the way the, you know, the group thing works. I like the way you can try. Yeah, I've, I, 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 I've done well. I've been very comfortable. Some people hate Facebook. Personally, I'm very comfortable in it. I avoid getting into... Uh, I avoid uh, getting into arguments with people on Facebook. Like, if someone... Like, I'm quite... You know, if someone's listening to this and you don't like me, you go and put... You can write, you can write something on my page. That's fine. I have a rule. You know, I have two rules. If anybody, they can disagree with me or express their disapproval of what I'm doing, don't mind that. But the, the two, I start deleting stuff. One, if anyone gets abusive, either towards me or anybody else, goodbye, you've finished. And if it starts a thread, I don't, you know, a discussion thread, there's plenty of places, there are other places go, people want one or two comments, I don't mind. But if it starts turning into a discussion thread, I'll just kill the whole lot. You know, that's it. And uh, I like photographs. Um, you know, hopefully when you uh, go back to Australia, or we'll become friends on Facebook, and I might see the old photograph how you're doing. You know, or your latest post. Oh, is that this? You know, yeah. it's nice. It's yeah. nice. Something's nice. I think it's fashionable to um, to decry um, or disparage Facebook. I don't. I think it's fine. Um, Twitter. I don't really get. It scares me a bit, to be honest. Twitter. I don't. I kind of. Can't, I'm on Twitter. I had one extraordinary experience of Twitter about six months ago. I thought, and I can't even remember what it was. I thought it was a really funny joke. It was bang on the news. It yeah. was topical. It was just great. Even as I thought, I thought, Ivan, that's a great joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's well. Sometimes you think of one, you just know. Yeah. You know. Oh, this is great. And I immediately thought, I'll put this on Twitter, you know. And 
It just went mental, you know. There was emails, yours being retweeted, favourited, and I felt it was very reminiscent of that feeling when I first came on the internet. I felt incredibly powerful. Huh. And for 10 minutes, uh, listeners, <laughs> I was the funniest comedian in the world. I was. It was yeah. just going, you know, one, pe- one or two people with thousands of followers. And, it just, and I could see it because you, they tell me, the way my settings is, they tell me everything. Evidence, yeah, you've been retweeted. You know, just, and I just felt fantastic. I felt the power of it. You know, yeah. just, this is great. I knew it was a good joke, but not that good. Yeah. And uh, so, of course, but what, as it slides off people's screens, it, the momentum dies, dies very quickly, as quickly as it started. And I thought, oh, I, was, I want some more of this. Yeah, you got so, addicted. Uh, so about an hour later, I thought, oh, I'll just do another joke. I'll put that one out. Nothing. Nothing. Oh. <laughs> and it was good. And I thought, all right, you had your moment in the Twitter, Sam. Uh, that was nice. I don't, I, don't, I don't quite understand it. The one that interests me, that a friend of mine is on, I'm an addict, if I start on this stuff, uh-huh. I know I'm an addict. If I start on this stuff, you're gonna go I'll deep. Be, yeah, I'll go deep. I will go to the dark side. I will. A pal of mine is on this thing called Periscope. Do you know about this? I've heard about it. Oh well, don't go near it. If you are you an addict? No, I'm oh, quite a moderate right. person. Right, right. Well, you're normal. You might be right. It's, it's extraordinary. What it is. Forgive apologies to the people who've already seen Periscope because it's gonna it's gonna be huge. This. Okay. Even I know this. But okay. with my lack of internet savings. You get you got your laptop, alright? And you you put it on streaming. So here we are, this is me and Ivor talking in the kitchen where flat we share in Edinburgh, right? Uh-huh. And we're talking and we're being filmed. And we can see our image, we're being filmed. We're just having a nice time, having a cup of tea. And... But over, you've got followers, uh-huh. like Twitter, and then a little bubble will come up. Say it's your Periscope account. Yeah. All over the world, you say, hi Alice, who's that you're sitting with? You know, this is Ivor. This is, you're just say. This is Ivor. And another one, he looks cool. Uh-huh. And I go, and it's Fred in Melbourne. And I go, hi, Fred in Melbourne. Oh, wow, that's and crazy. It is great. And it's a permanent, it's a bit like you're saying this stuff. Yeah. You can have your own 24-7 TV station. <laughs> you can, forgive, you know, you can show people your life. Yeah. And they just... In the way that you know, when you're um, you're online, people just say, I'm, "I'm online," you know, and you're just talking. How's the, you know, it's just amazing. It is amazing. So you can have a gig. You can be performing on stage. Yeah. Um, I'm Alice. I'm funny. And uh, and I'll just let you know I'm on Periscope. You know, and um, we're being watched in, all over the world. Oh, I'm being watched all over the world. You can have it up on the screen behind you and say, hey, nice joke, you know, come up, you know, it's Fred from Melbourne. Alice, There's nice. There's a format in that, almost certainly. 
I'm sure there is. I mean, I'm for sure. a comedy show, you could well, totally do something like that. You could that. do it. I mean, we're, we're, it's just you, we can all be on TV looking at it the whole time. It's worrying. It is, but when you awesome. for a few minutes, there's a clip of me on my Facebook. It looks a bit crap, to be honest. I can't. I might have deleted it. Well, my pal, the one who's on it, he comes and sits down. And he says, oh, I have a wee Wilton Periscope. He says, oh, no. And already his friend in Tel Aviv, who's that you're with, Mark? This is Ivor, he's a comedian, he's a nice guy. Hi, Ivor. Yeah, comes up in, in messages, the little yeah, bubbles. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful, the graphics are really simple but pretty. It's really soft. Uh-huh. It's got a really soft edge to it. And you do, you are an addict. You do like this yeah, stuff. I, I'm not even doing it yet. You just look at the gleam in your eyes, yeah, not coming you, across on audio. Yeah, but you yeah. Can see, yeah, I'm, I'm an addict, you know, you can just see it. It's uh, coming up and it's uh, dangerous. It's going to be huge. What's this uh, tattoo you've got? The tattoo, which if you were on Periscope, I'd You'll be able to you. see. <laughs> on the, my left forearm is a tattoo of a pair of red shoes. Mm. Which um, men's shoes? They're men's shoes, and those shoes are in a bag uh, in Edinburgh uh, at the venue where you saw me today. Uh-huh. I'm not wearing them. They, when I used when I started came into comedy, I used to do the MC, the compare a lot, and I used to wear a dark suit. I looked quite sharp actually, if you can believe that. I can believe it. But I can compared to how I look now, I'm quite sharp. <laughs> and just a very plain, kind of slightly punky, Elvis Costello type, you know, quite sharp um, <laughs> face. I cut quite a nice figure, if I say so myself. And I wore these shiny red shoes, and they were like a trademark almost, um, uh-huh. as near as. And, uh, yeah, so I thought, where's your shoes, your red shoes? And they, they did look quite nice. They're like, basically. Dr. Martins, yeah, Doc Martins, but shiny red. And they, look, they look quite sharp. And when I was in New York a number of years ago, like a lot of people, I just fancied a tattoo, you know, and I didn't want to have the usual stuff. Didn't want a dolphin on your lower back? I don't really want a dolphin on my lower back. No one ever sees my lower back anymore, anyway. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I had the idea of these shoes that they were like a trademark. Next, if I see it at the venue, I'll show you my red, red shoes. They're not in my room. And I thought they'd make a nice tattoo. It's a very personalised tattoo. And, yeah. Uh, that's what happened. It's a good, it's a good... Nice tattoo. It is, and it matches your watch, which is all got a red strap. Which red I imagine strap, looks yeah, good with your red shoes. Yeah, let's get, get me on, when you get Periscope, interview me again. Show we'll show everyone what it is. You must find someone. No, you'll have. Because I imagine. Do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, yes. Just hold up your hands. Just hold up your numbers. Hold up your numbers. I lost count after 42. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, she's beautiful anyway. Her age doesn't matter. 170. 170. But listen, I'll tell you. I didn't follow that. I don't know what. It was. Uh, Anyway, you'll be, I suspect, people of your generation are very into the net and all these developments. You might, you'll have a, when you go back. Yeah, I remember before the internet. Yeah. Uh, but it came in and was big in high school for my, for me. Yeah. But what I'm saying is when you get back to Australia with all your friends mm. and that, someone will be on Periscope. 
right. have, have a go. I will have a go. But don't spend too long on it. They'll be sucked into the vortex. I think you might be. I mean, I've seen people on it, and they just they walk around. They walk around with their bleeding laptops open all day. In fact, not like you, you know, you and me, we have our phone in our hands. Right, that's one thing. A laptop out. That's uh, intense. Yeah, right? It is intense. Yeah. Although I have been writing an article on a bus and walked while writing it once. What with the laptop? With or just holding laptop in one hand and just finishing desperately yeah. finishing this article with my phone tethered in the crook of my elbow. I think that's the worst I've ever been in terms of like technology. Yeah. But it was due. I had to get it done. So that's what happens if you try to ride on a bus. So how would you? know from our conversation whether people have found this interesting or whether well, I'm just curious I'm, I'm not in any way trying to provoke anybody but no 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 uh, so we'll probably wind up in a minute and yeah. what I will do now is I'll um, pop my little SD card out of this machine yeah. uh, put it into my computer record yeah. an introduction yeah. uh, where I'll say your online details and my online details yeah. and where people can contact contact uh, me and then if people like it, they usually email me uh, and tell me that they liked it, or they tweet me and tell me that they liked it. I can look at my download numbers as well. So uh, if I have a particularly provocative title, they'll jump. Yeah, sure. If I have a particularly high-profile person, they'll jump. Sure. Um, or if I publicise it at the right time of day, they'll jump. Sure. Um, but there are a lot of people who just are subscribed and they'll get it, and they often send me an email or two, and I like that. So, I think if people, if people want to find out more... Do you edit it at all, or do you just go slam up? Um, so, it depends. Uh, if people ask me to, I'll take something out. Um, if I've said something that I regret, I'll take something sure, out. Sure. Uh, if I had not changed the time and the time of the... When I told you that story about the um, venue that I was offered, I, I told you the wrong time that I was offered a different time. Mm. If I had not done that, I would have cut that bit out yeah, because yeah. it would be too easy for someone to find out what time. I mean, there's only a few big venues and there's only a few yeah, time sure. slots. So, so I, you really cut that bit out? I would have if I'd got it. Yeah. If I had not edited on the fly and given yeah. a wrong time, I would have um, I would have gone back and cut that out. Right. If it's really boring... Yeah, yeah. Or there's a weird noise yeah, that yeah. happens. I will cut it out. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I, I tend not to. Yeah. I think it's nicer. I mean, if you want edited content, you can listen to Breakfast Radio. Sure. Well, that's interesting. Well, just to say, you might. What about to say? You might want to cut out simply because if people want to contact me, they, they want to find out more about me. Then I have a, a Wikipedia page. If they just want, who is this guy? Yeah. And my name's Iva Dembina. Yeah. D E M B I N A. If they want to get in touch with me, the best thing is probably you find me on Facebook. Help me on. See who I am. You can map private message me there or. Don't look him up on Twitter. Don't bother on Twitter. Not because I, I just don't really understand it. I am on Twitter. You can mention me on Twitter. You can say you don't like me or you do like me or you want to marry me or you, you want to divorce me. Do whatever you want. <laughs> I won't react to it because I don't know how to. <laughs> you can say, in fact, on Twitter you can say what you want. Yeah. I won't sue you because I won't know, know how to. 
But if you want to get in touch with me. Go on Facebook, Ivor Dembina. Yeah. Got a Wikipedia page. Wikipedia, it's, only, it's not a huge page, but it'll give you a flavour of who I am and how I've got here. I don't know if I have a Wikipedia page. It's great. I tell you, I, I felt like, I've got to be honest. I don't Makes know. you feel famous. I did feel a little bit chuffed. Because well, this fellow I know, he quite likes my work. Mm. Which is nice. And I said, he said, you should be on Wikipedia. I said, I don't know, but he said, I'll do it for you. And uh-huh. it's, um, I do feel, there's a little bit of ego in having my own Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not easy. They don't, I didn't, I, I'm a bit mentally lazy. I don't really look into these things. But they, you can't just have one. No. They, 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 they check up and they, they do. Them. It's done serious. Now, there's an example, sorry, just going back to this thing about donating money. Yeah. I think Wikipedia's great. Yeah, they're amazing. And I, I from time to time, throw some money at them. Yeah. I think they're worth it. Yeah, I, I agree. They're a great resource. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's very time-consuming, very hard work. And it's it, 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 it's, uh, it's based on altruism. Mm. So every night, every now and again, I send them a few pounds. Oh, uh... That's a good thing. I will wind up uh, the podcast on this story, which is a true story. A friend of mine, a friend of a friend, um, his hobby, it's a very weird but specific hobby, he goes onto Wikipedia and replaces the pictures of stuff with pictures of the same stuff but his stuff. So, like, the picture of a fridge on Wikipedia in the definition of fridge is his fridge. So that's his, that just makes him that just fills him with joy that everyone who looks up what a fridge is sees his fridge or his pot plant. Or I think that's fantastic. That is such a lovely thing to hear. I, I, but he must he's hacking. He must be. He must be. No, he's just a contributor. But he can get in. And he can and you can he's, you know he does the editing and stuff and it's mm. just that he'll it's not an inaccurate picture of a fridge. It's no. not a picture of something is other it, than a fridge. It's just his, his fridge. fridge. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a lovely story. Do you know this person personally? Yeah, I do. He's no. a very strange person, but a lovely a, person. Well, send him my... Uh, whoever this person is, you can convey my congratulations to him on his uh, choice of hobby. I will. Thank you, Ivor. It's been lovely talking to Alice, and have a lovely time. Uh, yeah, it's been lovely uh, uh, sharing this flat with you in Edinburgh. And we've got a couple flat. more weeks to go. And let me ask you, are you, 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 what happens after this? You go straight back or are you going to stick around in England? Two weeks in London, trying to get spots and whatever and trying to line some up for next year because I'd like to come back. Right. And then um, Sydney Fringe and Melbourne Fringe. I might see you there. Right. Thanks.